AT&T Threat Track is a roundtable discussion of the latest network security trends and news conducted by AT&T data security analysts. Complete video of this show is available at techchannel.att.com. Hey John, um, you have a story about uh, possible Iran cyber attacks in the wake, uh, wake of uh, new sanctions. Could you elaborate a little bit on that? Yeah, so there's a report that's come out recently, and this is kind of just maybe an advisory. The story kind of goes back, it started back in the 2012-2013 time frame where Iran was you know, engaged in some DDoS attacks against banks and financial institutions. And really the impetus behind kind of bringing it up is there's been some increased tensions between the U.S. and Iran, and um, some people are kind of thinking, well, let's hope that they don't kind of do the same thing they did last time. Banking and financial institutions aside, as targets they were in the last attack, one of the things that that actor set was doing, which was somewhat effective in their DDoS attacks, is they were compromising um, these content management systems okay. at web hosting providers. Yeah. And uh, the web hosting providers that they were, you know, compromising at, they typically had very large amounts of bandwidth. Yes. So when they turn these, you know, Linux servers that might be running a web server for Joomla mm -hmm. or one of these other content management systems into an attack platform, they had lots of available bandwidth, so they're able to, you know, leverage a larger DDoS attack because of that. So if you're running WordPress, Joomla, Drupal, uh, any of these content management systems that we've talked about recently, uh, especially Drupal is one that there was the Drupal Geddon uh, vulnerabilities probably two, three months ago or something like that. Okay. Uh, please make sure that you update those systems or hopefully if you're a web hosting provider you know, and you have a large customer base that has those types of uh, content management systems on your platform, maybe you could do some spot checking to make sure that uh, the majority of those are upgraded and not vulnerable to attack. It's more kind of advisory rather than you know just to keep your ears to the ground and keep your eyes open and look for any sort of you know DDoS attack emanating. From your opinion, what do you think of like their expertise? I mean, are they going to be targeting some new zero days, or is there any stories about okay they're they're usually going to look for some older attack vectors, or you know just just really what what should we expect? Um, I would say uh, expect the unexpected, because <laughs> you never know, right? But in the, in the previous attacks that we had seen, um, I wouldn't say that it was necessarily uh, like next level actor type stuff. It was more that they, and I don't think it was even a zero day, I don't remember. I believe it was either Drupal or Joomla that they were compromising a lot of. And um, it was not like an unknown type of vulnerability, um, but they, they leveraged it very well and they were pretty organized. So I think being organized and um, the fact that they were smart enough to use platforms that had lots of bandwidth uh, so that when they you know, wanted to send attack traffic, they would have a lot of bandwidth available to them as opposed to, you know, a lot of these botnets are comprised of consumer devices at, you know, homes and whatnot. So you might have a laptop that's compromised or something and that might not have a lot of CPU and it also might not have a lot of bandwidth available. But these guys, they weren't uh, targeting those platforms. They were targeting the web hosting 
providers and those content management systems, which did have a lot of CPU and a lot of bandwidth available. So when you get even, you know, like half of that, like 500 devices, you can really do a decent amount of attack traffic when you coordinate it all together. So um, that's what I would be thinking, but you never know. They could pull some new cat out of the bag that I haven't expected before. The last time they were mostly like volumetric based attacks and yes. the cleanup in that case was, uh, uh, I think the money spent to actually clean up and put the defenses in place, I think that caused a lot of damage. Last time, it was more targeted towards the banking and financial sectors. It may be, it may be possible they are the targets, and maybe some additional financial sectors, maybe additional vectors could be the target, but it's always better to be prepared. Get yourself set up and prepared to engage your DDoS services if you need to. Uh, make sure that, you know, every once in a while, I would recommend people do drills every now and then, just to make sure that it's gonna work when you really do need it. Hey, John, I understand that you were uh, out in Las Vegas last week for Black Hat and DEF CON, and you had a couple of interesting nuggets that you pulled out of that, uh, both of the conferences that you wanted to share with us. Yeah, um, there was a, a few things, I think, that, um, you know, are pretty, you know, that jumped out at me from what, either what I've attended or I heard in the halls that um, I'd like to talk about. Um, one, and we started off with a, a, a good keynote from Parisa Tabriz. She had a good talk about why security should be, uh, you know, something that we not uh, have to uh, actually bother with in regards to, you know, the normal consumer that they need to be, uh, you know, need to be done in the, in the background that, you know, that we, we rely too much on people being vigilant on their own and we need to embed more of that security behind the scenes. Of course, the the Intel chip, the chipset stuff like the meltdown sectors, which we've talked about, you know, uh, almost ad nauseum, you know, continue to be an issue, continue to be new subjects of discussion. Uh, uh, unfortunately, you know, I think we're not going to be out of that, that picture for some time. You know, uh, biomedical hacking was kind of interesting at, at DEF CON in particular. And they had a whole couple briefing halls or meeting rooms that were just devoted to biomedical hacking. In one of the stories I read about the biomedical, actually it goes in hand with uh, the default passwords. I think the way I read the machine, actually the control machine doesn't have any sort of authentication, uh, so, sort of like that. Mm -hmm. The researcher able to basically plug in his own Raspberry Pi and he could able to control, you know, the heartbeats. Oh, really? A lot of so these devices aren't really you know, they try to simplify them as much as possible so that they, they don't they don't put certificates on them. They don't do the you know the encryption. They you know it's those basic things that we take for for granted aren't done in in that space. It, it's just not you know mature enough. Hey, you know that kind of ties back into your first kind of comment you had uh, from Parisa Tabriz from Google, who is saying and advocating that a lot of this stuff really needs to be baked into the products mm -hmm. before they're shipped out to the consumers. Yep. There was a lot of very thoughtful, salient uh, quotes out of that speech that I kind of took away as uh, meaningful. It sounds like you had a good time. Uh, you were at Roots Asylum as well, right? Yeah, yes, I was. I think that, that every time I go to, uh, to DEF CON, I, I just absolutely love uh, the, the work that's being done at the Roots Asylum, which if you're not familiar with that, that is, uh, it's about six years old now, I guess, maybe, maybe a little longer. Uh, essentially, it is a 
almost a conference within a conference. So for kids, they, they can come into this large room usually, and there's various stations, and they can do pretty much what the adults are doing, but in a more controlled, obviously, uh, environment. They can come in, they can take apart computers, they can do some soldering, uh, build things, try out some hacking things. So it kind of fosters that creative um, side in people so that they kind of have a good uh, ground floor if they go into the cybersecurity field. A really great mix of the kids who can go from different stations, they can do a capture the flag attack, you know, or, you know, or attempt, they can do uh, build things like they were building drones. They can practice soldering. They can practice lock picking. Uh, there's also the junkyard, which is where I spent a good amount of time, actually almost two whole days, uh, which is where I was working at the Roof Asylum. And that's where we get equipment donated by uh, to us from a, from a local uh, supplier there in, in Las Vegas. And they, uh, they, the kids can actually take that stuff apart. And AT&T, I think, is a sponsor of Ritz Asylum, right? Correct. We're, we're a sponsor of the asylum, and we also run the, what they call the junkyard station. So we man that and uh, provide that for two days. Uh, it's a fun conference. Uh, like I said, the Roots thing is probably the highlight of, of any week that I spend there, but uh, uh, certainly it's, it, any professional in security field should at least experience once in their career. I just have to recommend either, either Roots or either Black Hat or DEF CON or preferably both if you can swing it. Right, I agree. Um, I try to get there every few years or so, but can't get there every year. And uh, I definitely agree. It's a, it's a fun time and it's very educational also uh, for everybody. All right, thanks. Thank you, John. Ganesh, last week uh, during uh, Black Hat, one of the talks I did not get to attend was one about an Android vulnerability that they're calling man in the disk. Uh, anything you can share with that? Yeah, sure. Actually, it's a, another new type of attack which piqued my interest, basically. MITD is a man in the disk attacks, similar to man in the middle. Mm -hmm. But in this case, it's targeting the most of the Android apps. So how is this possible? I think um, it's possible because the way Android OS deals with the storage. The apps on the Android OS can access and view any type of apps on the external storage. Basically, that gives leverages, you know, and maybe unwanted advantage, maybe not necessary privileges to look at the other apps. So in this, uh, in this case, a few researchers from Checkpoint, they did uh, some malicious app development to study how this could be done. What they did is uh, they created an app, I think a flashlight app, posing to be a flashlight app with some uh, code uh, stolen and basically hidden inside the app. In one case, what they did is basically they asked the permission from the users to access the external stories. If I'm a user, if I need to use the app, I'm not thinking about what it is going to ask. I will just give the app the permissions right. to install. And you probably assume that one app that's stored in external storage is not necessarily going to be able to interfere with another one. Most people wouldn't think that. Exactly. Right? And that's a normal request for permission to write external storage. It's pretty normal from a permission perspective. You know, people just give it. You know, they don't, they don't think twice about granting that permission. That's true, especially if it's uh, something burning like a flashlight app, uh, you wouldn't think uh, twice. I think uh, the key thing here is uh, basically by using the external disk, either it's an SD card, it may be some sort of you know, logical file system, they could able to manipulate the storage space. 
Right. And so I was kind of reading through, I was kind of scrolling down here because the interesting thing to me about it is that Google um, or the Android security guidelines, they actually have some good guidelines about how you should, best practices about using external storage, such as you know, perform input validation when you're handling data from external mm -hmm. storage, uh, do not store executables or class files yeah. at external storage, and then uh, external storage files should be signed and cryptographically verified prior to dynamic loading. All three of which, if they had done that, yeah. the apps probably wouldn't be vulnerable to this, but a lot of app developers aren't doing that kind of mm -hmm. um, you know, uh, validations or best practices when they write their apps. App developers, they need to be a little bit more diligent about following best practices about how to deploy, when they use external storage in the Android operating system, uh, how to do that in a safe way. I haven't heard of any kind of like patching or anything for this, but. Actually, uh, there are a couple of um, apps actually vulnerable to it. A few from Google, a few from uh, Andex. I think that's a Russian based uh, Right, very popular. Very Yandex, popular. Yeah. Uh, but I think uh, when the researchers went back to Google, they released actually a patch to address these vulnerabilities. Okay. But in the case of others, I, I don't think uh, they decided to do it at this time. Probably near future, they may have some updates. But it sounds like the apps themselves are updating to better follow these best practices as opposed to the core OS being modified in some way to prevent um, it from happening. I'm assuming so. I, I, it's documented behavior. You know, that's, I think that's the challenge. Is it's, it's documented, this is how it's going to work. And, and so it's hard to change that behavior if that's the way it's supposed to work. <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah, because you might break so many things mm -hmm. in the process of trying to change something that's so basic in the underlying operating system could probably break a bunch of other apps that already exist um, that might rely on some feature of that for some legitimate reason. So, all right, good one to keep an eye out for. Hopefully we don't see a lot of rogue apps uh, being side-loaded onto people's yep. Android devices, causing this to happen, but we'll keep an eye I on it. I find some wood to knock, John. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right, thanks, Ganesh. Thank you. Hey, Ganesh, I thought we'd take a look at the internet weather for this week. Mm -hmm. um, a couple of little weird things that show up in the most sources probing, but uh, this one, the first one here is the most probe ports, which is just sheer volume of uh, scan scanning activity irrespective of how many people are doing it okay. um, and I'm gonna skip over the ones we see all the time like Telnet and SSH we're not going to talk about them really but uh, 1911 TCP I'll call out because that is most of this is benign um, and that's the Tritium Niagara um, okay. protocol which is a building automation protocol um, 8545 is uh, the Ethereum wallet that has a vulnerability, and there's been a couple of big um, thefts of the Ethereum cryptocurrency due to some vulnerable wallets out there. Um, and then the last one that I'll point out from here is the 5555 TCP, which is uh, the Android debugger. We've been talking about that mm -hmm. for probably a few months now. Yeah. Um, and it actually shows up more in the most sources probing, so we'll take a look at that more over here. So the ones I'll point out here, even though the only ones I'm going to have some charts on are the red ones, but 8080 TCP, we know that that's related mostly to the GPON router vulnerability that came out maybe a month or two, something ago. Uh, we're going to go take a look at these in closer detail. We'll talk about them when I get to them. The rest of them are somewhat innocuous. 81 TCP is probably the go-ahead web server yeah. vulnerability that's out there. 
uh, but some of this other stuff might just be whatever. Uh, this is this uh, large uptick in 53 UDP. Uh, I'm going to guess is probably related to some increase in people either looking for open DNS servers for okay. uses in uh, DNS reflection attacks okay. or something of that nature. That's that's my guess as to why uh, there's an uptick in that activity. I didn't get a chance to look in super detail on that one, though. But let's jump into the ones that um, I thought were interesting. So this is port 528069 TCP. Um, we've seen a pretty big uptick here. That's a huge um, spike. You know, as compared to usual, yeah. it's about 11,000 yeah. scan sources. It's yeah. big, yeah. not but super gigantic, to, yeah. but it's pretty big. It's significant because it's in the yeah. top 10. Um, and we happen to know that this is actually an older vulnerability for the real tech um, devices. And there is uh, a CVE for it. So, like, it's been known about since 2014 timeframe. This probably related to the Satori botnet getting in on the, the game, using that as a means to propagate to other types of devices that it hadn't before. Um, port 8080 TCP, this is a web alternate port. We see it a lot on a lot of software. Yeah. Um, this uptick. Uh, coincides with the May 10th, or the, the May 10th uh, uptick here, I should say, uh, where we had some of it, and there actually was a bit back here, but around this May 10th time frame, it really shot up to about 30,000 scan sources per hour, maybe at peaks of 40,000. This is when the GPON router vulnerability was announced, mm -hmm. and I just brought this article up here. So this is um, the, uh, the guys at NetLab360 yeah. who've been putting out some really good uh, you know, security analysis reporting lately. Uh, their article came out on May 10th, and that directly aligns with it. And they also call out the various forms of the various botnet families that are scanning for this typical uh, this type of exploit. And Satori is in there. Um, Mirai is in there. Uh, Hajime is also kind of a Mirai-ish type variant as well. Uh, I don't know about the other ones as much. Uh, so 5431, this is another one. We've talked about this before in the past as well. And it's odd. We've this never is really re odd, like one spike coming down. Right. Yeah. Right. So why? And we've never actually been able to explain this. Okay. So the things about this, we know 5431 TCP, there is a vulnerability for Cisco Linksys with this. And it's been around for a while. I don't remember okay. how many years. Uh, but the thing that's unusual about this is this is not a sawtooth waveform. It's mm -hmm. more like a like a comb, <laughs> mm -hmm. but this is not normally what you would see with botnet-related activity. Um, normally, you do not see really super sharp spike rises and then decays that go off so quickly like this. Like okay. within an hour or two, it decays off to nothing. And um, the, the volumes are gigantic. We're talking about 80 to 90,000 scan sources per hour we see all of a sudden yeah. in unison scanning for this. So it's, it's really weird. I've asked around other people, nobody actually, uh, other people have seen this as well. It's, we're not the only ones seeing it. Um, but I haven't really gotten any good answers to explain this activity. I've also not been able to capture any of these probes in any of our honeypots, okay. which is also kind of confusing. I do see, it looks like they scan, like the start and stop ranges for their scanning um, is not always the entire internet. It's like certain part of the internet, so maybe there's something to that too that needs to be studied more. Uh, so uh, I don't know if this is the last one or not, but 5555 TCP, the Android debug bridge, uh, is another one. 
that uh, we've talked about for a while here. I actually, uh, it's been, this is a 180 day chart, so about six months. I think right before here, like if I did a seven months chart, yes, you would have saw that there was nothing yeah. back here. And then it kind of upticked and it had stayed around the five to 7,000 scan sources per hour really consistently for a long time. And then uh, maybe early July here, we uh, started to see a more like botnet shape-ish, right? Because you get this sawtooth waveform yeah. again, starting up where you get the spe these spikes and decays. And um, that is when, so what was this? This is maybe like July, let's say 7th. Uh, that is about when, uh, July 8th, yeah. um, NetLab 360 started reporting that the Satori botnet started scanning for port 5555. So they had probably a few of these running or they're doing some instrumentation to watch the activity of Satori. And they noticed that that was added as a feature, feature. as part of their propagation is to scan for that 5555 TCP. So those are the ones that I thought were interesting to keep an eye on, um, especially if you have any of this type of hardware in your environment would be uh, you know good candidates for making sure they're all patched up and whatnot. And uh, I think that's all I have for this week. The trend seems to be related to IoT-related botnets. I think uh, those are the key takeaways from this, uh, this week's Internet Weather. The views expressed on AT&T ThreatTrack are those of the participants and do not necessarily represent the views of AT&T or any other person or entity.